Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. <clears throat> Voice a little gravelly today. Ooh. Hope that's not foreshadowing anything. <laughs> God, I was just at the post office. I was I was there thinking, oh, maybe I'll, uh, I had a, a thing I had to mail. Thought I may maybe pick up stuff from the mailbox, do a little mailbag, Marin. But there were it was all like package slips, and I stood in the wrong line. And then by the time I was made aware of what the right line to stand in for my packages was, the post office was full of people. Nobody was social distancing. I just got, I got freaked out and I left. And I was like, I bet I I bet I caught it in there. I bet I bet that was it. But I've had that we- feeling like twenty five times since this started. So. We've backslid majorly. Uh, we're recording this episode in early July. Yeah. Things are, things are not looking great at this point. I hope future Ben and Adam remain healthy and well, as well as all the rest of our friends of DeSoto. Yeah. We can't afford to have friends of DeSoto catch this thing. Just as, as you've been stuck in a post office line, I've been uh, two days in a row now, Ben. I've been in line at the DMV, bailed both times. <laughs> I thought you got kicked out one of the times. I was kicked out one of the times, not for anything I did, but because... Not for uh, cause. I was was there in the early afternoon. It was like, I don't know, one or two. The office closed at five. They got on the PA and they were like... Yeah, uh, they gave an appointment. It's not happening today. And I, I was very grateful for the message. It saved me several hours and then the awful realization of of wasting those hours for nothing. And then I went back, I woke up bright and early this morning, went back this morning. The line was double the length that it was yesterday. Everybody from yesterday came back. Nobody's got time for that. No, it's a strange and stressful time to be alive. My license has been expired now for a couple of days. My out-of-state plates, tabs are expired. Yeah. Illegal in, in every vehicular way. I was talking to my wife because I, I related some of your DMV issues to her, and I, and I was asking her if she thought that I would be going as nuts as you are in this if if the same situation had befallen me. Because you're was, such a rule follower, you don't you don't want to live the way I'm living. You're less of a rule follower, but you're more Type A. You you hate an unchecked box. Fucking hey, man. More than anyone I know. That is incredibly <laughs> insightful. <laughs> I was in a super pissy attitude earlier today because for some reason uh, I chose working on a kitchen project over doing show research in my, <laughs> in my hierarchy. Uh-huh. And by the time I finished up in the kitchen, I had very little time to do the tasks assigned to me for my job, my job being this show. And I was super angsty and pissy and I was like short with my wife and stuff. Like, I'm such an idiot. I box myself <laughs> into these corners and then I lash out at the world. Yeah, and she's for, like, what's up my your many ass? Mistakes. And you're like, my boss, Ben Harrison, is gonna be so mad at me. I'm so stupid. <laughs> I don't get mad. I get even, Adam. Mm. <laughs> If I got even on myself, I would be dead a long time ago. Yeah. If I had a boss, I would have been dead a long time ago. <laughs> right. Luckily, you've just got me. Ben. Yeah. And I am uh, I am backwards hat, backwards chair, <laughs> backwards pants, kind of cool. Party in the front, party in the back. You're a chill yeah. boss. You're a yep. good guy to work for, Adam. Try to be. And you walk all over me for it. <laughs> You know who we really work for, though, is uh, is the friends of DeSoto who support the show. That's right. And uh, That's depend- right. depending on whether or not the network pulls the plug again or whatever, <laughs> this is the Max Fun Drive. Yeah, I feel like you or I have said those words dozens of times over the last few weeks. <laughs> yeah, we maybe this is the time that it'll stick. It was supposed to be end of Q one kind of uh, timing, like. Like March, I think was the was the first attempted 
scheduling of the max fund drive and then it was rescheduled and then canceled again this is all behind the scenes they probably don't want us to let people know that this happened they don't listen to this show it's fine (laughs) but uh this is the third attempt and this is actually the first episode we've recorded since we found out so and and i think that this I'm looking at the the calendar right. This will be the last episode of the Max Fun Drive yeah. for the Greatest Generation. So, uh, thanks to everyone that has contributed so far. And uh, if you haven't yet, this is uh, your last week to do it. So do it. Our myriad friends of Desoto have risen up in in support of us. Feels good. Feels great. Did I ever tell you a, a friend of mine confused that word with Miriam? He he was like he casually was like you know there there are Miriam examples of of this and I think it was in a workplace context and I was like what the fuck how 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 could you live your entire life calling it Miriam that is I'm sure amazing. there are dozens of examples of words I fucked up on this very show yeah. that are that are worse offenses than that but. It's always stuck with me. Every time I've said the word myriad, I've, I've thought Miriam. I really like it. Um, <laughs> I, we have a dear friend named Miriam. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell her about that. She'll be yeah. delighted. Yeah, tell her that her name was an embarrassing moment for a coworker of mine. <laughs> They'll love that. <laughs> you know, speaking of embarrassing workplace incidents... Mm. Boy, do we have the episode for you. <laughs> if you like that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's get into it, Adam. It's season six, episode 25 of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The sound of her voice. Ow! Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Ben, I feel like we could do a tight 20 on what I'm going to call the core question of the entire episode. Mm. Gets it out of the way in the cold open. Yeah. Are you a backless barstool or an unbacked barstool guy? I kind of disagreed with Odo on this. I think that a back on a barstool is asking for you to lean back in a way that is actually dangerous because your center of gravity is too high. Nonsense. So I would go backless personally. Uh, have you tipped over and fallen out of a bar stool before? It sounds like you speak from experience. I have not. I had a friend do it once, but I caught him because I he he had been Whoa. in a, in this bar for a couple hours before I got there, and when I came in, he did this thing where he like instead of turning around, he leaned his head all the way backward to, to where he was like looking at me over back of his shoulders and he tipped over shattering his upper vertebra puncturing three or four of his lungs i had to catch him and uh, part of this was that he was soused and mm, that'll part, happen part of it was that the the uh, stool was not bolted to the floor <laughs> there is a bar in portland i don't think they would be insulted by this characterization that is just a fucking dive <laughs> i fucking love this bar it's called claudia's uh-huh. uh one of the notable things about claudia's is that it has the highest bar stools ever like the highest bar stool backs they're they're like dracula collars they're like whoa they rise like a foot or two above your head and they and they swivel, you know. It's like a private booth. Wow, it's great. And they're at the bar. Yeah, that's got to be a strong discouragement for second and third row ordering. Yeah, I would say so. God, there's also like thirteen coins in Seattle. Also has like the diner style bar stool with like a nice leather back. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. get cozy in and swivel in. But I think once again, I think those are bolted to the floor. I think whether or not you're bolted is a major. Major part of what of what back you choose. This is all in uh, service of some very traditional Odo on Quark legalistic harassment. Uh, Odo is just making making a nuisance nuisance of himself in Quark's bar, applying red tape wherever he can. Jake is also present for some reason. Why he's there? The reasons are nil because for some reason. Jake Sisko. It's me, Jake! I think at this point he's just journalizing, but eventually we come to understand that he's been written in the episode as a guy who's taken an interest in Quark because he's writing about 
a criminal mastermind or something and 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 is going is using his time in Quark's bar as research. I have a deeply uncomfortable question to pose to you, Ben. Is for some reason Jake a fail son? <laughs> You're asking if he's like a Kude Hussein? I want to believe in a future where, you know, artists' lives are respected as being, you know, equal to any other kind of career and that it's like rewarded and good and rewarding to the to the artist. But I don't think we're given the sense that he's good at this <laughs> or anyone else likes what he's doing. This is just character research. Right. And for some reason Jake is given respect and patience because he's Ben Cisco's son, but I would have hoped and expected by the end of season six that we would like him and respect him for his own character's reasons. And I don't know if we're there yet with him. He doesn't seem to be self-actualized in any way. The, the unlearned lesson of Wesley Crusher. Wesley, the boy. The boy. Young Wesley Crusher. My son. Was it doesn't serve a Star Trek show to write a character in that is like about to go to college because it becomes like the least interesting will they won't they Mm -hmm. like is this kid gonna go off to college or not and i think that the writers are like well on the one hand we don't want to write this character off the show because we find utility in telling stories with this character and on the other hand we are setting this character up to be a fail son by <laughs> having him having him stall out and mope around the the station like a ghost because he doesn't have any ambition in life failure to launch in order to enjoy it this episode makes you accept the idea that quark would want for some reason jake around out of courtesy to nog quark is tolerating jake's presence and also kind of giving him some play-by-play on his thought process because what happens here is uh in the midst of odo's ball busting kira comes in gives odo a zup and odo's mood changes he makes himself scarce and in this Quark sees an opportunity. He he now knows how to play Odo like a fiddle. I've got to admit, I've come around to the Odo-Kira relationship. I don't like seeing how gooey Odo gets when Kira enters a room, but I like seeing her this happy. <laughs> it's nice. She just lights up. Yeah, she is She is giving us, like, NRE vibes with, with how excited she is to see Odo. Pretty radiant. Yeah. Speaking of girlfriends, Adam... On the little D, Cassidy Yates is serving as a liaison officer. You know, they're they're like doing that thing that you do sometimes in World War II where you have to escort a bunch of merchant marine vessels across the Atlantic. Little D is on is on escort duty and Cassidy Yates has been given the task of liaising with those merchants. And uh, she is complaining about how much paperwork this new job entails. I knew there was a reason why I didn't join Starfleet. I, I couldn't do this paperwork. And uh, Dr. Bashir comes in complaining about how much paperwork his job entails. Smart. Seems like Starfleet's just a bunch of pencil-pushing cheese dicks. I think the thing that you don't want to have when you invite a friend or family member to a workplace thing is to have them relate to you how boring your shit is. <laughs> And that's kind of the effect here, right? Yeah. Like, they're having a hang. This is the last thing that Ben Sisko wants to hear. And he's, like, sitting there with, like, a pile of pads in front of him. He's, like, in the throes of paperwork when she comes in to complain about paperwork. You are not helping, Cassidy. It introduces a tension right away between Sisko and Cassidy that pervades the rest of the episode. Looks like you did a pretty good job. And I think it is very well played. I definitely feel it. Mm -hmm. He gets called up to the bridge by Worf because they're getting a distress call from the Rotharian sector. And uh, he says, Worf, is that the ship that General Martok commands? What are you talking about? He said, no, no, no. Rotharian, not Rotaran. Uh, Worf takes out his retainer and then he says it again. Like, oh, I see. Oh, I get you. <laughs> it's a general distress signal and it's very broken up, but he gets up to the bridge and they, they give it a listen. 
And uh, it's a lady describing a very harrowing escape from a, a ship getting destroyed. Her escape pod is torn open. She landed on an, a Class L planet, which is, it's not Class M, but it's not Class D, you know. You could live on it. <laughs> yeah. Class L is Class Live. Like, bare bones, mm-hmm. livability. Yeah. Class it, L. It's not Class T, which is Class Thrive. I'm standing next to this planet. I'm slapping it on the atmosphere. <laughs> it's, it's pretty basic, but it'll get you there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a used planet you buy from a, a rental you know, company, you know, yeah. like it, they, they buy specifically like the the bottom end of the trim package for everything. Yeah. Cloth interior, no XM radio, like any, <laughs> everything is just like the bottom of the line. Crank windows. <laughs> I didn't even know they still made that. Uh, the complaints start right away about this planet. Uh, Captain Lisa, not happy with her circumstances, suggests that she may be in some trouble in pretty short order unless uh, someone can rescue her on the double. Any other ships closer to that sector? No, sir. And uh, that's when the little D throws it in gear and uh, and heads her way. They are six days away from this planet at maximum warp. This is a, a real haul. And uh, yeah. so, unfortunately, even though their mission is over, their their suffering is just beginning. It gives you the idea of how thin the fleet is spread, because the idea of any ship being six days away from another at this moment in time is kind of a scary prospect, right? Totally. If the little D's away, does Deep Space Nine just have its pants around its ankles until it gets back? Or is there another ship taking on that? job in the for the time being the main thing about having your pants around your ankles is how slowly you move because your your ankles are caught in those pants <laughs> yeah yeah you, you can't get around. a full stride no it's a bit like having flippers on your feet you know it is in the same way that it's easier to walk backwards with pants around your ankles than it is forwards <laughs> here's the thing about walking in flippers you're not supposed to walk in them and you're not supposed to turn your back on a wave so how exactly are you supposed to walk around on a beach yeah it's like give me a fucking break it's impossible yeah except for contradicting yourself if you're in a boat snorkel instructor with flippers on you're supposed to you're supposed to go into the into the water by falling backwards into it i never did that i like the snorkel i like snorkeling all the time i i always just put them on on the ladder (laughs) and then i'm and then i just sort of push myself off the ladder I'm not bailing out backwards out of a boat. Are you crazy? Snorkel. The only time I do that is in Atlanta with our with our good buddy Chuck. <laughs> then I'm jumping out of boats all the time. Yeah, where Chuck opens up his motorboat as fast as it can go on the lake and you just bail out of the boat to scare him. <laughs> I don't know why I that became such a bit. <laughs> I could not let that go. I was like, the one thing I'm going to do is just disappear from the boat, which is really like extremely dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at night in, in like yeah. at dusk when like it will be impossible for another boat to see that you're in the water in front of them. That's the good stuff right there. So they, they head out for this planet and the, the first order of business is to see if they can clean up the signal because it's real, it's real mangled. It's a lot of a lot of interference, and O'Brien takes on kind of a level of obsession uh, before anyone else with this problem. Like he's he's really working hard on on fixing the signal problems. And did you get the Brahms tingles from this moment? Sometimes it feels like she's actually talking to me. It's not the way this may look. She reminds me of my cousin. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like, because the doctor comes in and he's like, you know you can turn that off and it won't change anything about what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. I think O'Brien feels comforted, like, having her voice there, though. It was weird that uh, Cassidy walked in as O'Brien was listening to the part where Captain Lisa was digging and using a trench toilet. (laughs) Yeah, and they just make weird eye contact. Yeah. Uh, Bashir particularly enjoyed part of that. Bashir was like, well, uh, Class L Planet does have a lot of water to drink. (laughs) I am not so much concerned about her hydration as much as her respiration. I thought it was amazing, like how hard the work of cleaning the signal up was. Like O'Brien is mm-hmm. like is like in Jeffrey's tubes. He's like on his back under computer panels. He's like pulling components out and reconfiguring them. This is like a major job. 
One thing I noticed about this episode right away during all of the scenes of Captain Lisa's dialogue was just how to like the episode, I think you need to get with how that dialogue is, and it feels very performative in a way that uh, initially I didn't mind, but toward the end, I was like, where does Captain Lisa get off telling Cisco what to do about his relationship? Like, <laughs> there was a, a tone to her that felt like it starts desperate because of her circumstances, but then it pivots into this other weird feeling, which is... Uh, like, it assumes some things about our characters and then gets very intimate with many of our characters, as as we'll find out later. But I looked into who wrote the episode, and it was written by an intern. Her name was Pam Pietrafort. Wow. She wrote two episodes for Deep Space Nine, was a television intern, and then, as far as I can tell, did not go on to have a career in television. That was it. Wow. What the hell? Kind of amazing trivia. I thought that the episode was really well written and very, like sensitive and good and i maybe disagree a little bit with you about the performance i thought deborah wilson's like making a character that you can't see was really well done you know what it sounded like to me and this may be a better way to put it than the way i put it before but it sounded like a video game dialogue (laughs) in terms of performance and and writing in a way that that sounded like a modern video game versus a 90s television show interesting that makes sense it, it felt uh it felt like an imperfect fit deborah wilson does voices for video games now i actually recently played a game that she was one of the lead voices on uh this like uh this star wars jedi game and i well that's perfect then. i wa- i wound up kind of hating the game but i i uh, thought the that her character was really good. I mean, maybe maybe this launched that career for her. That's great. Are you, are you saying, like, maybe what this was missing more than anything else was, like, a kind of gross, uncanny valley CG character <laughs> giving a performance for this voice work? That Jordy could fall in love with? <laughs> Is that what you're suggesting? Maybe. Yes, that's... That's what I'm looking for every time. I'm guilty of a terrible crime. She tells the story of her ship's demise, and it sounds pretty rough. There's there's a planet with a strange energy field, and her ship goes down, and, and they punch out a bunch of escape pods. Hers is one of them. It crash lands on this planet, and it seems like she's the only survivor. And so it's a, it's a race against time. That's what it is. Yeah, and uh, I thought that they did a great job of, like, establishing and then advancing the stakes of this but uh maybe i'm getting ahead of myself let's check back in on what's going on with cork and odo this is one of the great a to b story mismatches (laughs) on deep space nine i think yeah in big in a way that's kind of like classic trek that right is like there's the tense like emotionally charged a story and the who gives a shit b story yeah what cork has observed in setting up his long con on Odo is that uh, the one month anniversary of Odo and Kira's first date is coming up and Cork is like hey uh, Odo you remember that extremely cringy first date you and Kira had don't you want to remember that forever by connecting the memory to an object that you buy Kira did you ever hear of anything so ridiculous there's no amount of drinking that can remove that memory from my mind. <laughs> I'm half gold, half vodka right now. Look at me. I'm barely holding my shape. I'm so drunk, and I can still only think of that. It's one of the great manipulations that a person can pull on someone else is that, uh, remember the time where you did something awful? <laughs> Just bringing it up. Yeah. Crucially, Saturday is the one-month anniversary, so so uh, Odo has a little bit of time to find a present, and uh, and so he, he runs off to the gift shop across the promenade, and Jake comes in and is like, what are you up to, Quirk? What's this about? And this is where like a little negotiation takes place, which I was surprised that money didn't come into. Right. Jake kind of plays to Quirk's ego and says, like, I'm going to base a, a character of a nefarious villain on you. Uh, wouldn't that be great? And I thought that it would have been fun if Quark had, had said, yeah, sounds good. How about uh, five bars? Right. But instead, he does it for zero bars and wants anything even remotely appearing to be Quark-like to not be in the book. 
He wants to be anonymized in every way that's in any way that would be interesting. And he also wants Jake to see him through his own eyes, which is not as a villain up to a scheme, but as a a businessman. The tech industry is an American success story. Who is looking to do a transaction that would be you know, frowned upon by the authorities. And in Quark's mind, that's a an important distinction to be made. <laughs> the main reason I knew that this anniversary was going to go poorly for Odo was that uh, his gift idea is clearly a Pandora necklace. <laughs> See, this charm is a bucket. <laughs> so you'll think of me. <laughs> this charm is a rocky outcrop in a sea of yellow liquid. And I'm hoping you'll think of me and not Dr. Bashir when you look at that one. We go around the horn with uh, Captain Lisa. She gets she gets a shift with everyone. That's the job, right? Yeah, well, they... Captain Lisa's like, look, I would... They clear it I, up, right? They clear up the connection, and, uh, and, and she, can, she can suddenly hear them for the first time. That's been, right. that's been O'Brien's problem, is that he wants to, A, clear up the, the signal, but also have uh, the ability to reply... Because she's kind of losing hope, right? Like, she's been just monologuing into her radio, wishing somebody would would hear her distress signal. It's fixing a problem and creating another one, because as soon as O'Brien gets the radio working and they're able to talk to Captain Lisa, Captain Lisa's like, well, I've been working on some stand-up, and I'm just wondering if I could have a couple of, of your crew people to just kind of bounce it off to and workshop it with. I've got a lot of bits in my in my notebook here, and uh, I'm just going to try stuff, and you tell me what works and what doesn't. In an extinction-level friendship event, uh, O'Brien foists her onto Bashir almost first <laughs> to get this out of the way. <laughs> Pretty great. And and she does a bit on Bashir almost right away where she uh, she fakes that she's been eaten by some mystery monster. Yeah, I love this. It's getting closer. What? I love the extremely Star Trek type speech pattern of the mystery monster that she comes up with, too. Yeah. There is never a moment where you are falling for this if you're if you're not Dr. Bashir. Yeah. I wonder like cuz cuz we we get a glimpse of a Nosican in this episode. I wonder if they showed her some Nosican to develop this character. I bet. Yeah, and that's not the first Nausicaan reference we will get in this episode, because it turns out a Nausicaan is who Quark's doing business with right. in the B story. She's a talker, man. This is like your mom's friend that doesn't know how to get off the phone. And now it's a whole thing with Gene. I would have pulled a Dr. Bashir. I'm setting the phone down and, <laughs> and doing some things yeah, give, in my room. Giving her some perfunctory, yep, uh-huh. Yeah. This is why my mom's friends are often faking like they've been attacked by wolves during our phone calls. <laughs> um, she's very interested in maintaining this connection, so they're 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 taking shifts. They uh, got uh, four more detectives working on the case. And Cisco, I think it's the first one. the The conversations she has with Cisco are all about spilling the tea on his. Uh, relationship with Cassidy, and uh, that's um, a, a touchy subject for him right now because, like, you know, when Cassidy shows up on the bridge, he's getting chilly with her. Uh, you know, he's 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 feeling like she's sort of invading his professional space. This is a very different breed of captain, right? I feel like Captain Picard would hate Captain Lisa. Totally, but Captain Cusack has like some some real insight into like why. It is bothering Cisco that that Cassidy is there, you know? It bothered me when Cassidy Yates asked her a question on the radio in that scene. Like, I bristled up at that. <laughs> like, what are you what are you doing? <laughs> this is Starfleet business. Yeah. Also, you're a felon. <laughs> like you're a criminal, Cassidy Yates. You shouldn't have bridge privileges. She served her debt to society, Adam. If you think that felons shouldn't have the right to vote and shouldn't have the right to be on the bridge of a starship, then you can fucking get the hell out of here. I think they have the right to vote. I do not believe that they should get bridge privileges. <laughs> you think that the second you commit a crime, it's bridge privileges revoked for the rest of your life. I mean, if I believe that, then I, I, I think I also believe that Data shouldn't been shouldn't have been invited back to the bridge after his many crimes. <laughs> I think that all checks out. I have a less punishment-oriented 
philosophy when it comes to criminal justice. I think that people yeah. can be reformed. That's great. <laughs> That's classic Ben. You know, it's it's classic Ben turning turning comedy into virtue. It's the best. What are you doing now? The O'Brien conversations are all about his, like, dread about the war and weird feelings about having, you know, thought he put that chapter of his life behind him. Because Captain Cusack was the head of a starship that left eight years ago, left the Federation eight years ago on a very deep space mission. And so she's kind of, she's kind of checked out of, like, what's going on politically I, I thought it would have been natural for somebody to be like, well, so what was, remind me, like, what kind of was going down in the Federation around when you left, you know? that This is an interesting bit of foreshadowing, right? She's so out of touch with the news of the day that, like, it sort of points to the conclusion of the story and what and what her truth is yeah by the end it's she's like one of those japanese soldiers that was stationed on an island yeah. before the war broke out and didn't have a radio and then you know somebody shows up and they didn't even know that there was a war on o'brien tells captain cusack i i don't hate the war <laughs> captain cusack i hate what the war made me become <laughs> and captain cusack's like that is really profound you just came up with that on the spot? I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laying all this on your shoulders, Captain. And Brian's like, that, that, that's actually material. I kind of say that to a lot of people. <laughs> Captain Cusack's like, interesting you brought that up. I actually have some material I've been working on myself. <laughs> She's gone. She tries out her monster attack material on, on everyone. <laughs> uh, She's working on like a, like a horror podcast. Yeah. One of the ways that they kind of step up the pressure is that she's got a a drug with her called Triox that she needs to be taking in order to survive the thin atmosphere on the planet that she's crashed on. And uh, and Bashir has asked her to ration the Triox uh, to a much lower dosage than is recommended in the uh, I Crashed on a Planet guidebook that she brought with her. This introduces the idea of a timeline been into this whole thing we have a diminishing amount of a life-saving drug yeah an amount of time that the ship is taking to get there these numbers do not match up in a way that equals a living captain cusack at the end right they've got three days to get there and she's got two more days of drug and that means they're gonna have to do something to speed up they're gonna have to find a way to go from nine to nine point five and that means using reserve power for the structural integrity field, which uh, against Worf's objections, they decide to borrow from the phaser reserves. If Sulu were on the ship, he'd say fly her apart. I know. Why, where was Sulu to advise on this? Someone sh- should have suggested the Sulu maneuver. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah. But this is like deep, deep trivia on the little D though, right? Like this was always the story of the little D. Yeah. Is that like it it will fly itself apart if it has to. It's it's over engineered. It's got too much engine for the chassis that they gave it. Sweet. And so yeah, they make the decision to to step on it, add that last little bit of NOS to the fuel mixture. This is an awkward moment for Cassidy to enter the scene because she's like, Hey guys, what's going on? How's it going? And then gets totally shut down by Ben Cisco here. I don't think so. I guess I'll see you later. Right. Again, like, a lot of this reminds me of the Wesley Crusher problem. Again, like, who's allowed on the bridge and who isn't? Yeah. Especially if you are a l- relation to a bridge officer in the way that, that she sort of is. It also feels like she's not coming on with, like, business to conduct. It's just a, it's just a, I'm, I'm on a cruise and... There are no locked doors to me because I'm the captain's girlfriend. It's the podcast problem of if the door to your office is open, people are going to enter. Yeah. Like, a starship captain is going to have fucking tough times at work, some some challenging moments on the bridge. This is a, this is a moment that Ben Sisko shares with Captain Cusack because... 
Captain Cusack is someone that believes strongly that mixing the personal and the professional is no bueno. Yeah. Well, aren't there times when you come home at the end of the day and you're just like, if I see one more cup of coffee. She's a firm believer in setting boundaries. Which is funny coming from her, <laughs> who is who is so probing in every conversation. Yeah. She's very intense. It, in many ways, she's yeah. a, a lot like my wife. <laughs> she's not going to let an issue drop if it comes up. Back on the station, Quark and, for some reason, Jake are inspecting the goods <laughs> in the cargo bay. And uh, Quark is lamenting the idea of, of not being able to sell them. It's a scheduling conflict, right? If Odo isn't going to be distracted by his date on the same day that he has made arrangements with this Nausicaan, the deal's not going to happen. And that, at this point, is the status of things. Odo has kind of unilaterally decided, I'm not going to celebrate the one-month anniversary of our first date. That sucked. I'm going to ce- celebrate the one-month anniversary of our first kiss. That ruled. <laughs> and this has completely fucked Quark's shit up, because the Nausicaan is expecting a Saturday delivery of the crystals and... He can't get back in touch with the guy until he reaches the station, but if Odo is on duty when this dude gets to the station... We'll both be in a holding cell faster than you can say criminal conspiracy. And I think Jake's bummed, too, because he wanted to see this deal go down. Mm-hmm. And he wanted a surprising, late-in-career, successful rap duo with Quark called Sell the Jewels. For some reason, his book was depending on this moment. Yeah. We get one of the classic Odo reveals at the end of this scene, the, uh, an almost season one Odo reveal of where where you are reminded once again, like, why don't they search the room? If you're a criminal on the station, searching the room is the first thing you do. Yeah. Search for Odo. Well, and, and, and it's a mechanic that we've gotten a lot of development of over, over the mm-hmm. seasons, right? Like, what about if they'd come into the cargo bay and, like, swept with a wide-beam phaser at a very low intensity to see if any of the barrels turn into Odo's? Right. But this is a, unlike season one, Odo go, turns from barrel to man and is, uh, is, is quite touched by something that Quark has said because Quark... It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a shame we can't sell these sell these fucking crystals. Like, I really wanted to. It was going to be a great come up for me. Technically, it's illegal. And you would think, after all I've done for Odo, all of the wonderful things I've done for that man, that he would cut me some fucking slack once. But no. Right. There's like two prongs to this to this lamentation by Quark, though. It's the it's he's sad about his missed opportunity but it's also the knowledge that he will be arrested because once the plan has been put into motion there's no stopping it like the Nausicans coming to the station expecting to do a deal that can't be done and then Quark and the Nausicaan will be arrested for for the deal that doesn't happen I was really looking forward to that happening but <laughs> instead yeah. uh, Odo is quite touched by what Quark said I don't really know what we can point to as things Quark has done for Odo. Odo believes it, and that's what's important. <laughs> Odo is in fog of love, though. Yeah. Fog of new love, especially. And that can make you uh, act a little bit irrationally. True. As we'll find out later. True indeed. Morn. 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 Sweet. Morn. 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 You near, buddy? Morn. We get Odo in a tux and Kira in a in a very fetching flapper dress haircut combo. Yeah, are they going back to some kind of 1920s hang or, or are they heading to the Vic Fontaine era? Because she's not really it's, Vic Fontaine appropriate in that costume, is she? It's got to be uncomfortable every time they do this and Ben Sisko's like, of all the time periods, you're, <laughs> you're choosing then? What are you trying to say about me? Yeah. <laughs> Very hurtful. I, I wouldn't like that at all if I were Ben Sisko. Might make a station-wide regulation about it. <laughs> it's the kind of club I feel the most comfortable in. I, I can't put my finger on why. <laughs> Jesus. That's some dark shit. If I was Odo, the kind of club I would want to go to would be the club in uh, in Blade, 
where the where the sprinklers open up and spray liquid all over the all over the party people. Oh yeah, Club Bashir. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> where the water is always warm. <laughs> On the little D, they finally get to this planet, and it's it's coated in a in a shell of uh, metrion metrion radi- radiation. I feel like it gets pronounced a couple of different ways. Uh, metrion or metrion, depending on who's saying it. But uh, it seems to be sort of maybe similar in a lot of ways to chroniton radiation. Oh, and we know what that means. Yeah. It's time travel. They can't beam through this, so they're going to have to go down in a shuttlecraft. I don't think they say it in the episode, but uh, in the Wikipedia article about this episode, it says that the name of the shuttlecraft is the, the Chafee. Really? Yeah, named after failed Democratic presidential candidate Lincoln Chafee. <laughs> is not. No, I, I don't think it probably is, but <laughs> I'd like to imagine it is. This felt like a new comp and a new launch. Yeah, and a new kind of shuttle pod. I didn't know Little D had this orifice. Yeah, opens up out of the bottom. It's in between the nacelles and the uh, deflector dish. <laughs> it's, it's a grundle pod. And uh, Cisco goes himself, takes the doctor and Chief O'Brien with him. Uh, the doctor, because they may need to provide medical interventions for this lady, and Chief O'Brien because he is hopelessly in love with her, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's a little overly excited about being a part of this mission. Yeah. So they punch through this weird energy barrier around the planet. They get down, uh, and... I really liked the establishing shots of the planet itself. This was great. Like, it looked like maybe they made a real, like, model of the planet and then comped a digital shuttlecraft into it. It was foreshadowed a little bit by Captain Cusack's own comments. When she crash-landed on the planet, she mentioned that it looked like a real piece-of-shit planet, (laughs) like Ferenginar, (laughs) like a place that you'd never be comfortable in. Yeah. It also brought up another question, Ben. Like, where is the Federation poncho? Oh, yeah. Like, isn't a Starfleet poncho the perfect thing to wear on an away mission like this? That would have been nice. It would have been nice to have. Because these guys are getting soaked. Yeah. And even even underground. Like, she's she's been hiding out in caves, and they go into the Star Trek caves where, where she's been transmitting from. They're, like, having trouble. They're, they're not f- picking up on life signs. And even somehow underground, the rain is getting in there and raining all over them. It made me wonder about that Star Trek Caves playset. If you bring in the rain machine in there, yeah. how long is it before those caves are usable again after it dries? Are there floor drains in the Star Trek cave? I don't know. Yeah, like that. Like I had no idea that that was a wet set capable standing set. When we're constructing a Star Trek cave... <laughs> You're going to want to put down some crushed rock before you layer a sand over the top. This is what's called a French drain, and in any wet set environment, it's crucial for proper drainage. We're also using a, an array of synthetic materials to make these rocks and outcroppings so that they don't absorb water at all. We get a classic high voice concern Cisco here. This has to be the only direction she could have been headed in. This is a quality of Cisco that we've been getting more and more when he's worried about someone. Uh, he goes up another octave. Yeah. When he when he yells out for Captain Cusack. And uh, unfortunately they they find her quite dead. Somehow she found the dry an, a dry enough part of the cave to be very <laughs> dried out. <laughs> Cisco rolls her body over and and he's like, it's like one of those Ferengi body pucks, just totally desiccated. O'Brien's like, sick. (laughs) Like a dead cat you find in somebody's garage. Yeah, dead for three years is Captain Cusack. It's tragic. She's she's way deader than they thought she was going to be. They thought she might be somewhat dead. They thought, like, maybe we've got, like, 20, 30 minutes to get her back to the to the shuttle and then back to Six Bay because she's been suffering from hypoxia for so long. But she's super-duper dead. Yeah. And that is uh, to do with the Metreon radiation. They figure out what's been happening is that she's been 
transmitting through that energy field and it's been jumping forward in time three years and then they've been transmitting back and it's been jumping back in time three years. Which accounts for her questions about the state of Starfleet. Right. If she was three years in the past, it, it sort of makes the nature of her questions more reasonable. Right. It seemed like she was pretty out of touch at the time. But now you know why. Right. It's eight plus three is what she is how out of sync she was with the the latest news. And uh, like, I think that that's like also like a short enough span. Like if if it was like if she was in like a TOS movie uniform with a fl- with the flap with the blood on it, like I think it would have yeah. made a lot less sense. Because they would have been like, right. yeah, like we're at war with the Cardassians and the Jem'Hadar. And she'd be like, what's a Cardassian? <laughs> you know? Cisco's like, well, they're like craggy looking people with sort of a spoon head <laughs> look about them. She'd be like, wow, that... E- Real squirrely looking guys. You sound like pretty xenophobic describing them, to be honest. Like, <laughs> different aliens have different loaves, Cisco. What's your problem? I'm xenophobic. I've got my own crew people vacationing in the 1920s. <laughs> there are problems all around me, Captain Cusack. This, the Federation is really falling apart. Far worse than is generally known. <laughs> They bring uh, Captain Cusack's remains back with them and uh, throw what is called an Irish wake for her uh, back on the station in the wardroom. Dax describes what, what, the, what the basics are of an Irish wake to Worf, who's never encountered this concept before. It's a way to memorialize the death and celebrate life at the same time. And uh, he's very impressed. He says it sounds almost Klingon. A lot less screaming, though, <laughs> probably. Unclear whether or not Captain Cusack is, is going to Stovacor. She's probably not if they didn't scream for her. Yeah. How would Stovacor know to expect a warrior was coming? <laughs> well, I don't know if she was a warrior. I think she was more of an explorer. Yeah. Crucially, this is not an open torpedo Irish wake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could not take my eyes off of the base for the torpedo either Mm -hmm. very top heavy was this whole situation and at many times during the scene people were laying hands on it great big wobble on the torpedo stand here i was expecting a one of those like fun funeral comedy scenes where the the torpedo falls open and the body spills out yeah yeah and and grandma clutches her pearls yeah because uh o'brien is looking in there and he's like is that my putter that club's irreplaceable. It's ten years old. They don't make it anymore. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then he makes he makes he makes Bashir go to his car and get one of his golf clubs to swap in for it. And right. <laughs> at the at the wake, Cisco goes up to Cassidy and says, uh, "Hey, like later on, there's actually something I really want to talk to you about, but not here, not now." And she says, "Is this about me?" And he says, "No, it's actually about me." And uh, it's one of those like I like. See me after class. That's like more a greater amount of m- emotional violence than is actually meant by it. Oh yeah, I I was absolutely nauseated by this scene just because of how many times I've been on both ends of this. Totally. Like, don't do this, Ben yeah. Cisco. If you want to have a conversation later, have the conversation later, but don't say we need to talk. I want I, I want to have you stew about this for three or four hours before we actually hash it out. To Cassidy Yates's credit, she takes it with great aplomb. Like, she is... Seriously. Cooler than anyone could possibly be about this rhetorical bomb dropped into her lap. I was scared for her. Yeah. And then uh, the eulogies are kicked off by Dr. Bashir in a classic throwback to season one Dr. Bashir because he makes his eulogy all about himself. <laughs> I am not the arrogant, self-absorbed, godlike doctor that I appear to be on occasion. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. He's like, I would like to propose a toast. Uh, there's a bottle going around, one of my private collection. <laughs> Cut to Worf, and he's just like power pounding it. <laughs> a <Delicious>. warrior's beverage. <laughs> I, I thought that this was sweet, though. Like, they, they all formed a relationship with her. O'Brien's comments about, like, like I never even, like, met her in person, but she she meant a lot to me. And uh, I thought a lot about, like, the fact that these characters are all at war right now. Mm-hmm. And this is a funeral, which is 
got to be like a fairly commonplace thing that they are dealing with like semi-weekly probably but this is a kind of funeral that feels separate from that and might be kind of a way for them to access a a simpler time in an interesting Mm. way which is why they're all drinking simple times (laughs) (laughs) the tone of this felt very much like uh all good things they're all looking at each other imagining a future where one of them isn't there Mm -hmm. and cusack is the one that has made them confront that idea even though none of them knew her really she inspired this sort of appreciation among them in a way that felt very like that last episode of TNG. I I was not expecting the gravity of this moment, the way that we got it. Yeah. I thought it was well done. Indeed. Did you like the episode, though? You really want to do this here. Now, okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. I don't like that we don't go to dinner with Cassidy and Pensisco later. How is he going to fix this? Yeah. <laughs> That's a bigger cliffhanger than Best of Both Worlds Part 1, I think. When this is over, I want to talk to you about something. Something that's been on my mind. Okay, um... I have a rich history of teachers telling me to see them after class. You know what the best thing was? Was when a teacher asked you to stay after class and then they forgot that they asked you to stay after class <laughs> and then you just sort of go on to the next period and you really get away with one in that moment. Did that ever happen to you? No, my teachers always remembered. <laughs> oh, shit. My teachers were like Pepperidge Farm, man. <laughs> <laughs> to answer your question, uh, I did not love this episode aside from its ending. It felt uh, very derivative of that Data and Sarjinka Pen Pals episode yeah. from TNG. The voice in the distance that you're trying to go right. save. Uh, it felt a little bit like a retread in that way, in a way that that's unfortunate. What about you, Ben? I can certainly see the parallels there, but uh, I like that she was a Federation starship captain of a ship that was on a mission of exploration. Like... Her uniform when they find her body is like old time pre-first contact TNG uniform. Mm -hmm. And I loved just remembering that. I I think that it was like a really like shrewd episode to put toward the end of season six of remember before this all happened, like what Starfleet was about. And uh, like... I I don't think it's like one of the strongest episodes of the season by any extent, but I I kind of liked it for that reason. Like I kind of like the uh, song order decision that they made with putting an episode like this where it is. I like being reminded that this is a mission that Starfleets have got to be doing all the time. Totally. The the rescue mission and the race against time feels like like that's what Kobayashi Maru is. That's. That's like a foundational mission if you're an officer, and it's good to be reminded of such a thing. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to be reminded of how great our listeners are by checking our Priority One inbox? Oh, I'm already there. I beat you there, Ben. Oh, shit. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. We've got two Priority One messages this week, both of them personal. The first one, Ben, is from Dan. And it is to you and me. I'm going to assume it's you and me because it says Ben and Adam. Could be a different Ben and Adam. Message goes like this. Hey, Adam. Hey, Ben. Thanks for making TGG. (laughs) Have some scarves. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's it. Uh, requested date is any Deep Space Nine app other than Time's Orphan. Wow. Which is an interesting request. Like, Dan, what do you have against Time's Orphan, out of curiosity? Or is, like, Time's Orphan too sacred to Dan to yeah. use as a as a jokey message? I, I'm filled with both gratitude and more questions uh-huh. for Dan. Thanks for the scarves, Dan. Yeah. We also have a message here from Charles. First paragraph of message is this old enterprise, of course. (laughs) That's Charles's name. (laughs) 
And uh, it is also to Ben and Adam, and it goes like this. When constructing the galaxy's finest pod, start with two hosts of pure moose knuckle. They aid a waifu-crazed genocidal deity and the finest drops in the biz. Top off with a clear coat of thirst for nose ridges, and this pod will last for generations. Thanks for helping keep me smiling and sane, now and always. Hey, that's great. Thanks, Charles. I, I like hearing uh, our friends at this old house describe our show thusly. <laughs> uh, well, if you'd like to uh, send us a P1, we'd sure appreciate it. It's uh, 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and they're a great way to support the production of our show. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I got a time code Shimoda for you. Time coach uh, mode. At about seven fifty-four, we uh, we get an establishing shot of Quark's bar, and everyone knows that when you're shooting a thing, like you call action, yeah. and that's when like the scene begins. But before that, you you call background action essentially, like you because you don't want people to start their move right after the scene begins, right? And so uh, there's nothing unusual production-wise about this moment, but the guy that we see with the first move in this scene looks like a normal guy, like a <laughs> 1998 guy wearing a flannel shirt and just like drinking a beer. Yeah, they got that shirt at like The Gap. <laughs> yeah, it looks contextually of the time that the show was made. It yeah. looks like it looks like he's trying to sneak off the set before the scene actually begins. Yeah, everything about him does look like he's from the 90s, except for the green space drink he's drinking. He looks like he's a time traveler. <laughs> and, and he caught my eye so utterly that I'm going to make him my Shimoda. Uh, regular guy alert, Ben. Wow. What about you? Uh, I also have a regular guy alert in... Uh, so, uh, if you look at uh, one minute and 16 seconds into this episode, this is like right after Odo's been distracted from busting Quark's chops by his new girlfriend, Kira, and he, he you know, puts his arm around her shoulder and walks down the promenade with her. A new patron enters Quark's bar. This patron appears to be a Jem Hadar in civilian clothing. What? What are you doing here, Jemadar? How, how are you walking around? <laughs> uh, one Ketracel White, please. <laughs> Sorry, sir, we're fresh out. Uh, I can look in the basement, but I'm pretty sure we're totally spoken for on Jemadar White. Another notable thing about this scene is we've got a uh, we've got a Snuffleupagus trunk alien playing Dabo. Oh yeah, I saw that. that uh, the trunk head. Yeah, the trunk head shows up a couple of times in different scenes, but um, yeah. that gem hadar, like, and I don't. Weird. I, I was looking for the gem hadar every time we come back to Quark's bar, which was a number of times in this episode, and I didn't see them again. But I'm almost positive that that's gem hadar loaf. I mean, you're not going to kick out a paying customer, are you? I guess not. <laughs> it's I like mean, his latinum is as good as anyone's. That's true. Yeah, that's my drunk Shimoda. What's that guy doing there? We may never know. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in 
handcrafted stuff all the time. And they send in their books. They send in paintings. They send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. One thing we know for sure is that uh, there is an episode after this one. Yeah, you want to head to the Game of Buttholes, the Will of the Prophets at gach.biz slash game. I'm there right now, Ben. I'm here to tell you that we are currently on square 40. In the deep, deep distance is a Coco Nono ep. Ooh, shit. You would have to roll a six to get us there. So, Well, well it's your roll, my friend. And, oh, uh, shit. That's a that's a rare a rare roll for you to roll a six. It'll never happen, right? But uh, but the episode in question is season six, episode twenty six, Tears of the Prophets. Ignoring the warnings of the prophets, Cisco leads an invasion into Dominion territory. I he's just driving people crazy with what he chooses to uh, accept and deny about yeah. his role as uh, as the Cisco. It's complicated. Uh, well, how are we going to be watching that particular episode, Adam? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm gonna roll. Everyone back off! I'm gonna roll! <laughs> uh, I have rolled a four. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which puts us on square 44. Hmm. Just two away from a Coco Nono, which means we're gonna watch... The season finale of season six, Stone Cold Sober. 44 is the uh, channel number of KBHK, the, the channel I watched Star Trek on when I was a boy. How about that? Yeah. God, in Seattle, I believe it was uh, KSTW 11, channel 11. Was huh. what it was on. So um, 44, a multiple of 11. Of interest to everyone <laughs> are those pieces of trivia. Yeah. You know that people from the Bay Area and Seattle are just going like, yeah! <laughs> Anyways. Just tearing out their earbuds in, in triumph. Yeah, At the shout out. I mean, we give people a lot of reasons to tear out their earbuds on this show, Adam, but uh, yeah, that's actually a positive one. It's nice, right? You know what else is nice? All of the kind folks that support us at MaximumFun.org slash join. 
Um, if you're listening to this the week it comes out, last week to get in on that sweet, sweet Max Fun Drive, get those cool pledge gifts. But uh, if you're not, just support us, you know? Supporting us any time of year is a good time of year. Max Fun Drive just happens to be the best time of year. It helps keep the show going. Couldn't do it without you. We sure couldn't. Uh, we got to thank our buddy Bill Tilly, who has gone from being our card daddy to being our social media daddy. He uh, runs the greatest Trek Instagram and Twitter accounts. And uh, we really appreciate all of the hard and thoughtful work he does doing that. Give him slash us a follow over on the Twitter and the Instagram. Why don't you? Give, and uh, while you're following social media things, how about following Adam Ragusea's YouTube channel? He's the musical genius that made uh, all of the custom interstitial and background music for this show. Uh, he, of course, worked off of the prior art of Dark Materia, but now Adam Ragusea is on to bigger and better things as a great big YouTube cooking celebrity. And uh, his hey. channel is great. It's going to teach you all kinds of good recipes. I am looking outside of my window and seeing two thriving tomato plants, thanks to a couple of the things I learned from Adam Ragusea's YouTube page. So it's about food, but also uh, about growing tomatoes. Hell yeah. Listen to our other shows on Maximum Fun. We, uh, we do The Greatest Discovery. I think as of the release of this episode, we'll be going to be pretty close to the launch of our episodes covering Star Trek colon Lower Decks, the animated series. That's right. Uh, this episode is coming out the week of episode one of Lower Decks. So get into that. Watch Lower Decks and then get into all of our fun programming over at The Greatest Discovery. And also listen to Friendly Fire, a war movie podcast that isn't as bad as that makes it sound. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation that may come back without one of its hosts. Oh, shit. <laughs> Recast the, the time after that, huh? Yep. Wow. Who's going to play me? Um, oh, you have ideas. Don't, yeah. even, don't even pretend that you don't. Somebody uh, younger, but no less appealing. Good luck trying to find anyone as type A as me. <laughs> <laughs> No such thing as type A plus. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.